When you become a widow, the heartache can be overwhelming. You feel lost, you feel broken, you feel alone, and sometimes you feel like the pain will never go away. I believe that every widow has the capacity to endure, the power to overcome, and the determination to create a new life filled with meaning and purpose. That's why I wanted to create a show called Widow 180. People tell me they come here for the positivity. They listen to Widow 180, the podcast, to be inspired. They come to Widow 180 to be reminded that they have options, that the pain of loss is not a life sentence. Widow 180 is about turning tragedy, loss, and fear into strength, creativity, and a new passion for life. My mission each week is to arm you with these powerful stories of transformation and knowledge so that you can navigate life after loss. I'm Jen Zwink. I'm so glad you're listening. Let's get to the episode. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that the doors are officially opened to the Rediscovery Through Writing Creative Grief Writing Program for Widows. When I put my programs together, I always go back to thinking about what I did, what I needed, and what worked for me to get through the grief process. And aside from my awesome widow girls that I always talk about that I could turn to for questions and advice, I really leaned into writing. I poured my heart, my pain, my fears, my hurt, my thoughts onto paper in order to process what was happening to me. And through that process of getting the grief out of me, I was able to learn so much more about myself. Through writing, I was able to find myself, to find my voice again, and being creative through writing and journaling really helped me find my place in the world again. And I know a lot of you are feeling that pent-up energy, that buildup of grief inside you, and you don't know what to do with it. You don't know where to put it. And in my new program, Rediscovery Through Writing, we're going to be doing four weeks of self-discovery through creative writing creative journaling, creative self-expression through writing and poetry. This is four weeks of live Zoom calls with me and other widows who are walking the same path and trying to figure out who they are again. Part of this program focuses on resilient grieving and facing our grief head on. The other part of the program is all about self-reflection, re-identifying who you are, finding yourself again so that by the end of the program, you've opened yourself up to becoming this new, authentic, aligned, best version of yourself. Who is this new person? Who are you supposed to be? Let's find her. And we can do that together in this safe space with other widows where there's no judgment. I would love to help you through this process. I would love to help you reconnect with your true self and find who you are and do that through creativity. I have done the work. I am still doing the work. And now I want to share the work with you all. I hope you can join us. The program will be starting on October 3rd, 2022. We will be meeting four Mondays in October at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Monday starting October 3rd. Doors are open now. Go ahead and sign up and get more information. You can go to www.widow180.com forward slash rediscovery. That's www.widow180.com forward slash rediscovery. Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for being here this week. You'll be glad you tuned in for this week's episode. I have here today our guest, author and fellow widow, Debbie Weiss. Thank you for being here, Debbie. Thank you for having me, Jen. 
Well, I wanted to have Debbie on the podcast for several reasons, but I talked to her last week and she was telling me how she went from a pretty isolated life to branching out more and how she learned how to do that. And I know how hard it is for most widows. I know how hard that is. So I really appreciate her coming on here to share her journey and to share some of the lessons that she's learned with us today. So I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited to get started and we're just going to jump right in. So how long were you married to George? Well, we were together for 32 years. He was my high school prom date. Ah, (laughs) nice. Nice. That's so sweet. (laughs) We didn't get married. Um, I was a practicing attorney. He was an engineer. So we didn't get married until... um, 2001 when I quit practicing law because he was the engineer on a personal finance program called Quicken for Intuit. So we didn't get married until we could avoid the marriage penalty when I quit work. <laughs> but we were together exclusively since since 1981. Wow. <laughs> That's so sweet. Okay. So you guys got married in 2001, you said? Yeah. Okay. So 2001. Um, well, tell us what happened with George in 2009. Okay. Yeah. Well, George was a workaholic, um, sadly. And, um, one day he came home from work in 2009. He said, Quicken has shipped for the year. The product is shipped. And tomorrow I'm, I'm going to the hospital. I'm I'm going to the hospital for some tests. I said, didn't really understand that. I said, what, you know, what's going on? So don't don't worry about it. I'm just gonna go. And I figured maybe it was a long overdue physical. I don't know. Um, but he came home the next day about six hours later. I knew that had to be bad being gone that long. He said they're running tests. We'll see. I, you know, obviously I'm like, what's going on? Don't you know? We'll wait. Well, we had a we had a week, and I was a little concerned, obviously. And then he came home the next week, and he said, I, I have metastasized male breast cancer. You know, it was, it was a shock. It's metastasized too. Yeah. And that, okay. So that was in, <clears throat> what month was that in 2009? I'm not sure. Um, I don't really remember. I want, I want to say November, but. Okay. Okay. And George wanted to handle things all on his own then kind of from the get go. He, he did. He really wanted to just take care of his business and keep it his business and he didn't even want to involve you in any of the treatments. Did he start that right away? He started treatments? Uh, probably a month, probably six weeks a month. You know, they there's a treatment team and they put together a plan and then, they, you know, they talk to the patient about it. Mm-hmm. It all sounded like a good care system, but he didn't want me involved in it. You know, when he came home and gave me the diagnosis, he said, I will always tell you the truth but you will hear it only from me. I don't want you talking to doctors and things. I will talk to you. Wow. And then he just drove himself to chemo. He didn't lose his appetite. He'd go to chemo. Then he'd go to the grocery store. <gasps> he, just, he, you know, he got his chest zapped and would drive straight through to work, which was in Mountain View, or, you know, an hour commute in Silicon Valley. I what? mean, he, just, he was Superman. I, it was, it was kind of unbelievable, but that's how he wanted it and he could do it. Yeah. So he was just powering through all of that mm-hmm. and getting through it and leaving you 
leaving you out of it. I guess as a, just to protect you, or I guess, I don't know. Well, part uh, of it was protection, I think. My mom died when I was 10, and she died at the same hospital after a brief illness. So okay. I think he wanted to keep me away from there. But yeah. obviously, you know, with something like that, it's, you, you can't do that forever. Yeah. yeah. And you said his health, he did start declining and getting more sick. But then he was telling you that he was getting better? It was odd. You know, we had a few good years um, up until, you know, he passed in April of 2013. And up until, say, the fall of 2012, he was doing well. I mean, you you know, he lost his hair or whatever, but he functioned pretty well. And then it wasn't until the fall that he started to lose his ability to walk. And, you know, he went from a cane walker, but he was in denial. I think what happened is something went wrong in his brain and he thought he was getting better. And the denial, the the act he was putting on for me or whatever, the invincibility he thought he had turned, turned dark in terms of being in denial about being ill. Yeah. And so he did think he, he was getting better. He didn't think he was going to die. Right. So if he's not thinking that then he's not talking about it or preparing for it right in any kind of way right um because he's thinking it's not going to happen did you but did you so yeah so I mean that kind of leaves you in a very awkward position to try and bring it up and talk to him and I mean even just for your own sake of thinking, you know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to me? Not in a selfish way, but I mean, you might've been thinking that, right? Oh yeah, I was, I was, I mean, he paid all the bills. He was really sort of in charge of our home and, you know, he had this complex stereo system and I couldn't even watch a movie. I couldn't pay the bills. I, I, it was funny when I think back because I wouldn't live that way now, but at the time, you know, he would just kind of did a bunch of things on his own and you know, cars were in his name. It wasn't a, a big deal, but it, nothing was set up for me to use on my own. The home was in a lot of disrepair. We didn't talk about that. But, you know, worse is we really never said goodbye. We never yeah. talked about what was happening and how we felt about it. And I I, tr- I think, remember trying to bring it up practically daily. And he's just like, uh. I'm fine. I need to work. It's fine. I'm going to be fine. And it was sad. And I also was... um kind of freaked out because he was excluding his parents. He didn't want them to know he's an only child. And um, I thought that was, that was a poor decision. Right. And again, you're in another awkward position where you want, you want to have somebody to talk to about all this stuff. I do. Who did did. you, who did you talk to about what you were going through? Um, I talked to my dad and my stepmom. They lived nearby. They were okay. having their own health problems at the time, but um, they were there. You know, I, yeah. I would visit with them and talk to them. But, you know, obviously I didn't want to worry them too much. They were housebound at that point and they had home health care. They had, again, their own health issues. So I couldn't talk to his parents because he wouldn't let that happen. You know, I begged, but he said no. So other than that, I, w- I was pretty much alone in this. We were pretty isolated. I didn't have a lot. I didn't have close friends, you know, acquaintances. So. Yeah. Well, when did, when did he pass away? April 10th of 2013. Okay. <clears throat> and you told me that you did feel some guilt afterwards. 
what did you feel guilty about? Well, it was really hard when he started to physically decline, and I believe also mentally decline, though it wasn't clear to me then, because he kept saying, I'm getting better, I'm fine. So he didn't let us get the kind of care we needed. There was never palliative care. There was never hospice. There was never, you know, he had some ailments and things related to cancer, and he wouldn't let, you know, the hospital send people. He kept me out of it again. So he was dealing with with all the medical the medical people. Oh my god! And so I was pretty angry caregiver. I mean, I was fresh. I was doing this on my own. I was waking up several times during the night to give him. um, I think it's called Nebutal. You put it in a he had a nebulizer. That's it, a nebulizer, and you put ammonia capsules in. So I was up a few times a night doing that. He was still staying in our room. He wouldn't get, you know, sort of. So I was really angry, and I was I yelled at him a few times. I'm like, you know, what's going on? We've got to deal with this. And I felt very guilty for my anger later on, you know. I felt really bad that I couldn't have made his last days more pleasant. Yeah, I can see that. I can see, but I can also see why. Yeah, I can see the guilt, but I can also see why you are being so left out and yet you are still the caregiver. (laughs) So yeah, I had no choice. (laughs) Yeah. How are you supposed to know what you're doing? He's coming home and telling you what to do and how to do it. Or, you know, I I mean, at that point he was house after a while, he was housebound probably by January before he passed, he was housebound December, maybe even a little bit thinking about it, but yeah, he would kind of tell me what to do. And it, I could tell it wasn't working. I mean, I could tell he was declining. And he was right. still getting medical care. But, you know, he wasn't involving me. So. Oh, daddy. That, oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's so such a confusing position to be in. I was right. Yeah, it was you very really confusing. You want to respect his wishes, obviously. You know, you want to respect what he wants done. And at the same time, you have no idea how what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And also, I had no idea if I was killing him. I what? mean, you know, I was taking exactly. He had some open wounds and I don't want to, you know, it's not going to get into that, but I was dressing them and trying, and I was worried that, you know, what if I wasn't doing this right? What if he got infected? What if yeah. I wasn't handling all this properly? What if our, our sanitation wasn't what it should be? You know, and then we got yeah. a, a guy in, you know, a few mornings a week, a couple mornings a week, but it really wasn't enough for the situation. He wouldn't let me do things like get a hospital bed, you know, the kinds of things Ugh. or or palliative care again, anything, you know, that would have, I think, acknowledged the situation, you know, what the, what the truth was that he was declining. He was, yeah. you know, he was never going to survive. He lasted longer. I think than was expected and he functioned super well, way longer than expected going to work and all, but yeah. So it was, it was a mess. I mean, I was very, um, I was very angry and I was confused and I didn't know how to fix it. You know, I could tell he was declining, but at the same time, if that was what was keeping him going, then I wanted, I wanted to go along with that. I didn't, I didn't want him to suddenly get so despondent and you know yes hasten his passing exactly exactly so you did you felt guilty you felt anger after what were those first few 
weeks, months after for you, what was that like? What were you trying to just do um, as far as coping mechanisms and trying to regroup after what you'd been through? It was odd. You know, I felt like I split into two people. I mean, during the day I was for the first few months, I was very efficient and I'm a former Mm -hmm. lawyer. And, um, so, you know, I dealt with all the estate stuff, all the paperwork, a lot of trying to get things into my name, um, organizing things with his work. He had a bunch of benefits that, you know, we had to work with. So there was a lot of stuff to do. The house was falling apart from deferred maintenance when, you know, you've had someone with cancer for a long time. Um, you know, the, so I was dealing with, you know, emergency, you know, repairs and things. So I really was pretty organized, but at night I, I felt like a little kid again. I mean, I was alone in this dark, silent house. I didn't really have any friends. Um, I would just listen to music and, and drink and look yeah. at the, and just kind of zone out. Um, I felt so alone at that point, you know, I'd have mm-hmm. my list of things to do on the computer for the next day, but at night and I, you know, my brain wasn't, um, I could do short tasks, but I couldn't like relax with a book. I'd mm-hmm. been in sort of fight or flight mode for so long trying to help him. You know, he was, he'd fall, you know, when he was at home. So I was still kind of amped up yeah. and it, it was hard. I, you know, I wasn't sleeping properly. So it was kind of like being underwater. It just felt like a really bad dream. Kind of felt like everything was the same, but it was a really bad dream. I would like to invite you to get our latest freebie designed just for you. How to get your life back together after loss, a 10-step checklist. After countless hours of research, interviewing hundreds of widows, and through my own experience with grief, I have compiled this list of the 10 steps you need to take to put your life back together after losing a loved one. It's normal to feel overwhelmed and also normal to not know where to start when it comes to picking up the pieces of your shattered world. Here's where you start. You can get this free 10-step checklist at www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. Yes. Yes, exactly. And at night, after you go, 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 go during the day and things slow down, and then it's like, okay, now what, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And there's no one to talk to. I mean, <clears throat> it was even a relief sometimes, you know, to be on the phone with like the guy at the bank, because at least I felt I was being productive. I was uh, having some kind of interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tell us what happened. Um, you mentioned a guy that was coming in a few days a week. This was one of the sort of caregivers that was kind of helping out towards the end. What happened with you and this caregiver guy? Oh, that was interesting. Yeah, that was not my best decision. Um, You know, it was August. Um, George had been dead about four months. I had a birthday. The At that point, most of the things that needed to get taken care of were taken care of, life insurance, benefits. The pressure was off. I could see I was going to be okay for a while. The house was was paid for. I would taking care of things, the probate, you know, we didn't have probate Mm -hmm. of trust, that that kind of stuff was done. 
And that almost made me more alone because everything was done. And I'd had a friend, George, George actually really had one caregiver who uh, had been my dad's caregiver and George had met and liked. And the guy came in a few mornings a week to help mm. out. He was kind of a hipster. He was um, 10 years younger than I was with a lot of ink um, yeah. <laughs> and a love of cinema. And, you know, at first I think he felt sorry for me and we would go to a lot of movies together because he was on lists for all these movie screenings and we would hang out and we'd go to San Francisco or go to a movie screening. He felt bad because I was so alone. I mean, and I was just days on end, yeah. except for, you know, my dad. Um, at that point, I wasn't really talking much with George's parents, though I did later. Mm. They were very kind to me. And uh, this guy and I started hanging out and eventually it became romantic. Uh, we started to see each other. And um, it was a relief to me because I couldn't fall asleep by myself. And I would wake mm. up every day at 4 a.m. You know, my sleep pattern was sort of fall asleep at 11, wake up at 4, fall asleep when there was some light for a couple hours. And it was just so amazing to have someone to be with when it was dark out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And also just human companionship. I really, you know, at the end with George, things were very strained as he was declining. So um, that had been very sad for me because we'd always been best friends. But with his de with his denial with the cancer, we became more adversarial because I was trying to get him to handle it and he wouldn't. Um, so that was hard. So this fellow and I started hanging out and at first it was fun and it was healing in some ways. Yeah, right. That physical companionship too. Yeah, now you exactly. <clears throat> you know, we keep talking about how isolated you are. Where, how, where do you live? And where were you, like, you know, at the time, where were you living? And, you know, how isolated were you from? Well, I lived in Danville. Um, it's okay. a nice suburb of Northern California, about, yeah. uh, well, about 45 minutes uh, southeast of San Francisco. Okay. That's when I lived there. Yeah, standard kind of housing development, you know, where every fifth house is the same. It was very nice. It was pleasant, nice area for kids. But I wasn't, like most people, I wasn't real close to my neighbors. I didn't have a lot of close friends. Okay. So I would see people, you know, I went to, you know, I, I had like a, a, a gym membership and I would did a training class with a few other women. I went to a yoga class, but I didn't have close friends. Okay. Um, you know, a little later, I did start to venture out. We talk, we'll talk about, you know, and get out into the world and join some groups. But at the time, I, I was pretty isolated. If I wasn't careful, I could spend all day by myself. You know? Okay. So the relationship with this guy, how long did that last? Well, it was on and off. Um, it probably lasted, let's see. Probably about seven months overall, somewhere okay. in there. Okay. It was an on and off thing. Um, the sad part was he got controlling. I don't know what happened. He became mm -hmm. very jealous. And Ugh. he was not in the best financial place. So I did worry that if things got bad, he was going to move in with me and I wasn't going to be able to deal with it. You know, um, he started out, he was super sweet. I thought I loved him. Uh, my mind wasn't where it should have been. Yeah. Then after what I'd been through and being so alone. Um, so I wasn't really in, in my right space. Although if you talk to me, you know, I seem pretty normal, but he got pretty controlling. You know, at one point he was like, Oh, you're flirting with people. Well, I didn't flirt. 
I hadn't flirted since 1980 when I was single, <laughs> but you know, I don't know how to flirt. And, uh, yeah. you know, he thought my yoga clothes were tight. He insisted on trying to do it. It was ugly. I finally had to end it and it wasn't pretty. I left the house one day. I said, you know, I'm going to yoga. Don't, don't contact me again. He said, you know, and then he said, I'm coming to your house. And I, I had to say, well, I'm, if you're there, I'm going to call the police. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, I, look, you were doing what you wanted to do and needed to do to kind of get through that stage right. that you were in. Right. And when all of these true colors start to come out, if that's the type of guy that he is, at least you had it in your in your mind that this is not right and not what you need. Right. Um, I mean, at first it kind of was what I needed. And I thought we could have sort of a loving friendship and it would probably end because we were super different. He hated Danville where I lived. Okay. You know, he, he didn't, you know, we, we liked to, to do different things. He was way younger, um, but well, 10 years younger, but I, you know, what surprised me was that he was seemed sort of angry with me, but at the same time he was sort of coming in closer. I'm, you know, instead of when are we seeing each other? It's like, well, I'm going to come over. Well, I'm going to stay. And it was like, okay. I started to think I'm in trouble. Ooh. Yeah, I'm in yeah, trouble. yeah. I'm in trouble. Yeah. Fortunately, I was yeah. getting um, shortly after I'm not great on the dates or before I did get grief counseling and my therapist was really helpful with all that. Oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah, yes. that's good. So yeah, so other things that you were doing um, around that time in that first year, well, you did see a therapist and then also, you know, you're at this point, getting rid of the guy, but trying to create a new life for yourself. And you did mention yoga. So you found a little group there first. That was your big kind of, you know, first step into not being so isolated, right? That was your first group that you found. Well, I first actually, I joined of all things, a car club because my late husband had a sports car. We bought it when he was diagnosed. This is kind of, oh. but you know, and then I was thinking of selling it and the car club was real friendly. So, you know, I started to hang out with them. They had Saturday morning breakfasts, It doesn't sound like much, but that oh. was a weekend morning. I wasn't alone. It was a weekend morning. I had people to be with. We had breakfast. Yes. They usually had some sort of car related activity afterwards, which, you know, wasn't my favorite I wasn't that into the car, but the people were nice, you know, and that was, so it cut me out of the house. that was Saturday, you know, that was a Saturday that was okay. I'd come home and I'd been with people and I'd always enjoyed writing. So, um, I went back to a writing class I'd taken before my husband was ill and okay. Okay. That was once a week. That was Thursdays. And from there, there were some more serious folks in the group, really nice folks. This is a writing class for senior citizens. They're a bit older than I was about 20 years. And they invited me to join their writing group, which met Fridays. So then I had Thursday writing class, Friday writing group. I wanted to use the time well. I felt accountable. I brought in writing pieces. The writing group people became close friends. I did rotary, a few other things that I didn't relate to, some kinds of businessy local social groups that didn't work for me. But, you know, I was out there putting on mascara, Nice, clean, yes. clean clothes and trying. And then, you know, and a few things, a few things gelled. And then I finally did find a, a yoga studio that 
had a group of women, most of which were single, you know, big group of friends, a tribe kind of, and a lot of them were single, um, divorced, one widowed, and I kind of joined that tribe. So then, you know, from there, I, I had a few groups of folks I, I could hang out with and had some activities I could block off my day, you know? Yes. This is what I want to hear. This is so mm. fantastic. I love mm. it. <laughs> this, mm. this is where a lot of people get hung up. You know, they don't, they don't want to initiate those friendships and, and conversations. It's not that they don't want to do it. It's just, they haven't done it in so long or they just feel so awkward and I get it, you know, but the alternative is to be isolated and feel isolated and be alone and you know, here, yes, you tried different things. You said the rotary thing, you tried it. It didn't work out. It wasn't your jam, you know, let's move on and find something else. Like, but I love this. You tried all these different things. You're filling up your schedule. You're meeting all of these new people. This exactly. Is what I want everyone to hear. I'm so happy. <laughs> it was great. You know, if I told yeah. myself, if I met a new person that day, I'd say, okay, that's a success. That's really, it you know, is. it's a success. If you meet a new person and rotary, again, I, it wasn't for me. But for a few months, you know, again, people were nice. It was they did a dinner at once a week um, or every other week. It was a lot. I mean, most people didn't go as often as I did. But, you know, again, I got me into the habit of this is the time. This is you go. This is you talk to people. This is you at least, you know, p- put on something besides, as I think they say these days, soft pants, you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, well, I know. So that was my next question though. Like what advice can you give to other widows about initiating those changes to make their life better? Like how can you kind of, what can you tell us to give us that mental boost to get out there and do these things? Well, you know, ultimately a few years after that, I discovered hiking and that was it for me. Cause there's all these mm. meetup groups for hikers and all different kinds and levels of walks and hikes. Yeah. Um, and from there, you know, you're walking with someone for four hours, you make friendships, and there's all different people. And it's not uncomfortable, because it's not like you're going to a Valentine's Day dinner, right. everybody shows up, we're not dressed up, we walk, a lot of folks, you know, some folks are married, some folks are single, it's yeah. a good mix. You know, my advice would be to just join to just look at joining some groups, because you can always drop out, you don't, you know, you go to one thing, you hate it. You don't, you don't do it again. You like it. You go back. It's, it's good. It's, it's, I don't think of it as a skill set, but with book promotion, people do talk about reaching out as a skill set. And I think that it is a little bit of a skill set because at that point you can go into any kind of a group, decide you're comfortable. Hey, if people aren't friendly, that's their damage, not yours. Yeah. And you can go and you can join a group. And you can show up and be pleasant. And if you hate it, it's an hour of your time and you're gone, you know? So I would really, my advice is to look at something like meetup groups and to pick something you love, because if you're doing your passion, even if you don't meet people that you're crazy about, you're enjoying your life and you're feeling more fulfilled. Um, For example, you know, a photography class, Um, my current partner is really into photography and I'm thinking if, you know, he needs a, a, a group, you know? You can join a photography class. People love that. You can go on trips that are photography trips. Um, So I really feel like if you just look at groups, some groups that do the things you love, 
you you can start to get you know maybe not close friends but a tribe or a group of acquaintances and some things to look forward to and expand your world i'm a pretty cautious person so i wasn't somebody who is going to say oh i think i'll do this um hike in the himalayas for 6 months <laughs> but but i could say I'm going to join three hiking groups and go on one or two hikes a week and talk right. to people. You know, that I could, that I could do, you know, start small, <laughs> start small. Yeah. I would go and start small, you know, yeah. Not a big hiker, join a walking group. Right. Right. You said that by the end of 2018, you were taking trips alone and you were taking classes alone. Mm -hmm. And then also in 2018, you decided to go back to school. So tell us about that. You got a master's. I did. Awesome. Um, I did. Yeah. Um, by 2018, I was feeling you know much better. My brain was reconstituted. That's another thing. I think your audience of widows would understand, but I don't think other people do that when you're widowed, especially like in circumstances like mine that were hard, hard for everybody, for everybody. Um, your brain goes into a kind of mode where it's not functioning maybe as sharply as it might otherwise. You know, you can I could function, but I couldn't think super clearly. I couldn't calmly read a book, especially one that wasn't, you know, real, real easy. Um, right. But by 2018, I had I had some brain power back and I would been doing some different writing classes and um, some kind of in-depth ones. And I wanted, I was writing a book and I wanted to make it better. Mm -hmm. And I decided to do that. I would do something immersive. So I went back to, a, to I went to St. Mary's College of California in Moraga and got a master's of fine arts in writing. It's a two-year degree. Ah, amazing. That's so great. But this whole time, so writing, you decided because you had already had a work in progress, you had been writing for a while because you had that writing group. Yeah. that you were in and taking um, that writing class um, shortly after George had passed away. Um, uh, but, oh, I'm sorry. Tell us about this, the uh, articles that you had submitted and some that actually got published, huh? I, and I did. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I like <laughs> short, I write essays. I'm not a, again, I'm a former lawyer. I am not a creative thinker. I have, I've written one short story as part of the MFA class that was rejected everywhere. But um, I, I do like writing. I did like writing essays. And so I started to, I blogged at my blog. And then from there, I sent things out. Huffington Post at that point had a blogger platform. So I was a Huffington Post blogger. I wrote about widowhood. That was a nice way to connect with people as well. I wrote articles on caregiving. And I got some mm. very kind responses from people because I wrote about my own guilt. And then I started yeah. submitting to some magazines. At that point, there was a group. You had to apply to get in. And we submitted back stories to the Hearst magazines. They'd send out like a story idea. You had 48 hours. It was very competitive. But I got eight articles placed. That is a new so writer. great. It was cool. That is so cool. It was really cool. So and I just cool. kind of kept going. And I submitted to a bunch of places. Um, at the time, I was really lucky. In March of 2018, yeah, I got my dream. I had a modern love column in the New York Times. And oh, that was my God. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Jen. And that's when I was wavering about the two-year degree because, you know, college so is kind of pricey. And, and I decided yeah. I got that announcement right when I was dithering over it. And I said, that's it. That's your sign. That is a sign. So, oh, my gosh. If that is not a sign. <laughs> keep going. 
Oh, so great. So, um, okay. So you had the, the writing thing happening, the hiking thing was happening. Yeah. And then did you get back into dating again? Also in that time. Okay. So, but you, okay. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay. I started dating about 14 months after George died. It was, yeah, about a year, year and two, couple of months. I went on J date, which is a Jewish dating site. I figured it'd be a little tamer than match. And I, I started to meet and date people. Um, they all sucked. You know, I don't, I mean, the quality of middle-aged men these days is appalling. I, I can't sugarcoat it. You know, you add a bunch of guys who were raised to conquer. Women were raised to be docile. You add in a hookup culture, which these middle-aged guys seem to think is going to work for them. Um, and it's it's just, it's a cluster F. I won't I... use more words, but yes, it's. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. But, you know, I just kept going. I had a lot of free time. I was a writer, so I would try to meet different people. And I yeah. really wasn't sure exactly the kind of person I wanted when I started out yeah. because I'd been with George since I was 17. So I'd never dated or had a relationship that wasn't super serious. So I was really naive, which also didn't help because I didn't have the kind of instincts a more experienced dater would have had. Mm. You know, I agreed to too many second or more dates when I, I should have been like. Right. Like from the know. get go. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Red flags flying, unfurling. But, you know, I was I was too oh, naive no. to figure that out. So tell us about the new guy in your life. I say new, but the guy in your life yeah. now. And when did you meet? And tell us about him. Oh, OK, that's a nice topic. Um <laughs> Well, I was getting pretty disheartened with dating. I'd been, you know, doing this for five years. I had some long relationships, one that was a few years, but it was a bad relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was very on and off, you know, and I just, so I was finally um, focusing more um, on myself and I was being more discerning with how I dated. I'd fixed up my dating profile to explain that I wanted a long relationship. I was very serious. I was basically trying to scare everybody off. It wasn't real serious. And um, at that point, I was, it was 2018. I was hiking. I was going to go to school. I was taking trips by myself. I was in a better place myself. Um, and I could feel some happiness on my own, which was an improvement. But I didn't like being alone. I really wanted to find love. I, I'm somebody who wanted to be partnered, I believe. That was important to me. Even though I, I think it's really valuable these days that we're seeing a lot of perspectives of women who are like done with men, singles, great. Mm. You know, I think that I think that's really good. But I that wasn't me. So I was I was still online, and one morning I get a, a text that, a, a message through uh, OK Cupid that says, "Are those Vans you're wearing in that photo? Vans <laughs> with skulls? Are those Vans with skulls you're wearing? Yeah, they are." And message back, oh. I think I want to get a pair for myself. Okay. And we went from there. And there's this guy. I looked at his profile. It's cute. It was cute. It was healthy. It was cute. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, new profile. It's a good way to start a conversation. Yeah. It is. It is. It's not creepy, right? No, it's not. It's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. So there we met. And wait, so when was this? What year was this? This is 2018. Okay, so 2018. All right. 
a lot happened 20... for you in 2018. You a lot happened. Yeah, good things. School. Yeah, yeah. This was going yeah. in a good direction. Yeah, it was. It was. Um. Okay, so you told me that he read your writing to learn more about you. Oh my okay. gosh. I know. That is just the sweetest thing. That was the only um guy I met who did that. He yeah, yeah he read he's he yes. read everything. Oh my god. I said he's a keeper. That is just so sweet. I thought so too. <laughs> I was kind of yeah, he was like he read this, he read that. And I remember he told me later because I wrote about my dating experiences on my blog. And if he said, he looked at that and he said, I can do better. You know, I can, yeah, I can do better than that. <laughs> yeah. For comparison. Yep. Taking notes. Oh my goodness. Okay. So tell us about your book. You wrote a book. What is the name of your book? My book is called available as is a midlife widow's search for love. All right. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So is it a memoir? Tell us a little bit about it. It is a memoir mm -hmm. and it um, spans the period from, well, basically from when I started filling out my dating profiles to a few years when I, a few years out, probably about mm. three or four years. So it actually ended before 2018, but it was really about trying to reach out and trying to create a new life after being widowed. And also what it was like to try to date uh, when I hadn't dated since I was 17 in 1981. And now I was 50 <laughs> in 2014. Yeah. And it just kind of goes through what all that was like and what it was like to be a cautious person. And it also goes through a bit how my mother's death shaped me because she died when oh, I was 10. Yes, 10. And that made me a pretty cautious person which probably led to the way I'd lived with George as being isolated, not having, mm. you know, experimented much in my life. And then suddenly having all the choices available um, at 50, but not knowing what to do with them. Yeah. Well, do, do you mind reading just a little bit from your book? If like, um, sure. I've got some things there. Yeah. We'd love to hear it. Okay. Okay. Um, I usually read just the 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 end the entry part because I think it kind of get gets us in a little bit. Sure. Um, I'll read and you tell me when to stop. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Or I'll, okay. And then or tell me if you get sick of this piece and I'll read another piece. I've got <laughs> ready. Okay. Okay. It's four in the morning. Oh my! It's, this is chapter one called marital status widowed. Mm. It's four in the morning and I'm putting together my profile for J-Date, the self-proclaimed largest Jewish dating community worldwide. My husband, George, died 14 months ago. George was my high school sweetheart, the strong man I curled up next to each night for 32 years. Now that George is gone, I don't know who I am anymore. I've lost the me that I was when I was married, but I've got to come up with something to tell strange men. This is what I put on my dating profile. I'm a former attorney, currently writing a book and gardening when I get writer's block. I am fun, witty, and outgoing, but occasionally shy, irreverent but kind, poised but occasionally awkward, with a wry sense of humor. I can talk about almost anything and am not so secretly 80, not so secretly anymore an 80s freak. I'm always hearing about online scams, so best to put up front that I'm a lawyer. 
Never mind that I haven't practiced in 11 years. Saying I'm a lawyer will probably turn off some people because lawyers are widely known as jerks. I know I was a jerk when I was a practicing lawyer. <laughs> now, that I, now that I don't work anymore, my days are pretty mellow. Walking a nearby trail, taking a yoga class, writing in my journal, and planting a few Nandina shrubs in my garden. I still talk to George. During this morning's walk on the tree-lined trail that runs through town, I was overcome by the different shades of green, shimmering and verdant, pierced with red bottle brush and orange poppies. Afterward, in my garden, the arcing sprigs of my new plants with their neat oval leaves seem so fragile. George, I'm sending them love, hoping they take to their new home, hoping that somehow my love will reach you as well. Maybe things look more intensely beautiful because even in a world without you, I still want to live. Of course, I don't put any of that in my profile. I don't want <laughs> I don't want potential dates to know I still chat with my late husband. At least I no longer expect him to answer back. And that's progress. I know I'm alone and it terrifies me, but I let, better leave that out too. I worry I'll sound terribly retro as I search for a man in an age when so many women have chosen to be single. And having spent over 10 years working with male lawyers, I can see why. <laughs> the profile questionnaire looms. I try to imagine the prospect of having sex with a new man. Failing that, I try to visualize going out with him for a nice dinner. Failing that, I go to the kitchen to get a dark chocolate truffle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I wanted to ask you um, about moving. Because you did move really recently. Was that like a year ago? When did you move? A little move? over a year. Yeah. Okay. I moved in July of uh, 2022, 2021. Yeah. Year okay. Ago. So how was that for you? How was moving for you? Was it exciting? Was it scary? Was it like feeling like you're leaving behind this other life? Like, tell us about that, how you handled that. Well, I'd lived in my old home in Danville for over 27 years. Mm -hmm. And that was the first house I'd lived in. You know, I moved from my dad's house into an apartment with George and then a few years later into this house and that was it. So yeah. I was really entrenched. But when I was um, dating Randall, my new partner, you know, we were hanging out a lot in Benicia, which is here in Northern California. It's kind of near Napa, but it's on the water, Benicia Bay. Nice. Okay. And I really enjoyed hanging out there. And I started to look for a home um, and it didn't work the first year. It was also the pandemic, which was hard. I was getting my master's, so I didn't have a lot of bandwidth. But then I, I started to look and within a day I found something I liked, you know, a year, la year later. And when I started to move, it felt so right. It felt really right to be moving to a new place where I felt more connected, where I hadn't realized how much I was still living with George in my old home. You know, even though it had been eight years or nine, it, there was so much, I still saw him. He was a big cook cooking at the stove, stirring mm -hmm. risotto. I I still saw him in our office because he worked at home, at home a lot. You know, I told you he was a workaholic. So the office was really his space down to his sleek black Italian cabinets. And, you know, I didn't realize later all that black sleek furniture is pretty damn funereal. Yeah. So I was really happy to move. And my partner and I, we moved in together. We wanted a look that was beachier and lighter. And I got rid of so much stuff. 
And it was cleansing and it really felt good. I didn't have any ambivalence about it. I wish in some ways I'd moved earlier. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, it wasn't until I started hanging out with Randall that I realized where I wanted to be and the kind of house that I wanted. It, it took me a long time to, to yeah. figure that out. Because, you know, people always tell widows, oh, why don't you just move? Like, oh, great. Why don't you just move? You know, <laughs> like, why don't you just date again? I mean, they give us all this advice and it's like, well, you're not flipping doing it. I know, I know. know? Like that's easier said than done, really. So I know. I And I I just wanted to ask you about that because that is another big hurdle that a lot of uh, widows, you know, they kind of go back and forth about is do I stay in my house? Do I, you know, do I get rid of things and try and move forward in that way. And, and there's, there's just a lot of back and forth with that. So I just wanted to see how that was for you. It was and great. You were definitely, yeah, in a good but I spot. Was more than ready. Ready. I, was more yes. than, I was more than ready. And, you know, some things didn't happen till the end. I had, you know, people come to haul stuff away and I looked at some of George's favorite paintings. They were very dark. One was of this pinball machine. And I realized, and Randall's looking at me and he's very nice. He went, do you still want that? And you know, it was something that George had loved. It had been one of his prized possessions. It was expensive. I'm sure I'm not the only widow who wants to get rid of stuff. And the word that comes into your head is, but we saved for this. This was expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I looked at it and it was like, but I don't play pinball. I don't really like that. I don't want this. And it's not going to go in your new house. It it doesn't doesn't go go with it. Right. So it was kind of nice. It was really amazing to me to set up a space that that I really loved and that I had more input because with my new partner, I'm older now. And, you know, we, we are more harmonious. And when I was with George, he made most of the major decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, he picked the house we lived in. It hadn't really, wasn't really my first choice. It was lovely. I'm very grateful, but it, yeah. it was amazing to kind of do things now where I make decisions and pick things and it's all my taste. And I, I'm not this sort of sleek, dark Italian sort of furniture. I'm kind of more light and girly and beachy. Yeah. And it's, it's wonderful to have my own space. That's really been wonderful. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you did that. I know I've seen yeah. your uh, pictures, I think on, on Instagram, you are on Instagram, right? I am. Okay. So we're going to get to that in just a minute, where we can find you, where we can find the book available as is, but I want to wrap up with one final question. Um, what's one piece of advice that you can give to other widows who are trying to create a new life for themselves? Something you can kind of offer up and share. Okay. Start small. It's very daunting when you start to think I need a social life. I need a new social circle. That is super, super daunting. I mean, I know I'm super cautious and, you know, I hadn't gone many places without George over the years. But I could say, okay, here's a hike that meets 15 or half hour away, 15 minutes that meets nearby. I can do that. I can, I don't have any friends at this gym. I can go to a yoga studio and see if I can find women friends. Um, So I would really say just taking small steps forward in areas that you love. And then you can go a little further. And then just to be super kind to yourself, because I know I judge myself very harshly. And I think if I'd taken out that judgmental episode aspect of it, I, I would have done the same thing, but I, I would have been a lot happier with myself doing them. 
So yeah. definitely just to take small steps forward, you know, break, you know, it's like a huge task. You break it down into little steps, try to make them things that bring you some joy and reward yourself afterwards without judgment. Definitely. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> oh my goodness, Debbie, this has been so great talking to you. And I think that there's so many takeaways that our listeners can learn from this conversation and just putting yourself out there. Just the last, you know, two minutes of what you just said. Um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for talking to us. And please tell us where we can find you, the name of the book again, and where we can buy it. Okay, here's the here's the book. It's kind of cute, huh? Available as is in midlife with a search for love. Cute. I think I'm kind of the red strawberry he doesn't fit in. Um, you can buy it on Amazon. It All actually, right. as the day we're talking, this is um, September 12th. It formally comes out tomorrow, the 13th. I know this will air ah. later. But yeah, this is well, yeah, perfect. So you can order it on Amazon. Um, you can order it on Barnes and Noble. I mean, it's on all all bookstore websites. You can Wonderful. also order it. It has regular distribution. So you can order it through your indie bookstore. Right. You know, so there's a way to do that, too. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm Debbie Weiss. I have a personal page. I have an author page, Debbie Weiss, The Hungover Widow. The Hungover Widow is my blog. Okay. I'm Debbie Weiss author on Instagram. I was the hungover widow on Instagram, but I locked myself out of my account and I can't get back in. So I'm <laughs> starting over. So please never feel bad that you're bad technically because God knows I am. So you can find me at Debbie Weiss author on Instagram, Debbie Weiss author on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I think right. I'm Debbie Weiss the hungover widow. Okay. I'm okay. actually on TikTok with a few videos looking absurd, but mainly <laughs> But, you know, the best, you know, if you're like, you're at home, you're tired, please order the book on Amazon. I, I could oh, really use, use the help. And, and, so and, and any, any, any indie bookstore will have right. you, can, or you can order it. Okay. And I'm going to put all of those links to everything in the show notes so everybody can easily find you. <laughs> so, all right. Thank you again, Debbie. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Jen. This is wonderful. This has been great. Okay. Well, um, we will keep in touch and yeah, see you soon. See you soon. Bye-bye. Here are the takeaways from Debbie. Number one, Debbie had been with her husband, George, since high school. In 2009, George was diagnosed with cancer. Number two, George did not want Debbie to participate in his treatment. He didn't want Debbie to be involved in his cancer treatment at all. George was in denial about being ill. Number three. After he passed away in 2013, Debbie said she felt guilty for being angry about the way she was left out. Number four. Debbie said she felt like she was split into two people after he passed away. During the day, she was efficient and organized, but at night, she felt like a little kid again, very alone. Number five, Debbie started to put herself out there and open up to new friendships. She joined a car club that met on Saturday mornings for breakfast, and she joined a writing group. She took a writing class. She took yoga and she made new friends that way. Number six, Debbie's advice to battling loneliness is pretty simple, but brilliant. It's join groups doing something that you love. 
That's it. If you don't like the group, quit. Find something else. Doing something that you love and finding other people who love doing the same things, that's what Debbie did. Number seven. In 2018, Debbie went back to school and got her master's degree. It was a master's of fine arts in writing. Number eight. Debbie dated for about five years. She said she went on J-Date and didn't have too much success. But then she decided that she really wanted to get into a serious relationship again. She was on OkCupid, and now she met her current love. Number nine. Debbie has a new book that just came out last week. It's called Available As Is, A Midlife Widow's Search for Love. It's her memoir. And I've heard really great things about this book. You guys definitely need to get this. It's out now, so you can get your copy at www.widow180.com forward slash products. That's www.widow180.com forward slash products. I'll put that link in the show notes. But you can also find Debbie on her Facebook page. That's Debbie Weiss. It's W-E-I-S-S. She also has her blog. That's The Hungover Widow. And Debbie is also on Instagram under Debbie Weiss Author. I want to leave you all with a quote today from Ray Bradbury, who said, While our art cannot, as we wish it could, save us from wars, privation, envy, greed, old age, or death, it can revitalize us amidst it all. Writing is survival. I love this quote, and I want to remind you all that next Monday, October 3rd, we're starting our Rediscovery Through Writing Creative Grief Writing Program for Widows. I'm so excited about this. This is four weeks of live Zoom calls with me and other widows, all here to support and encourage one another as we make our way through grief. Creativity, writing, journaling, art, This can all be so healing for the soul and transformative as we reconnect with who we are authentically. And I'm so excited to work alongside you through this journaling program to help process grief through creativity. Get more information and sign up today at www.widow180.com forward slash rediscovery. That's www.widow180.com forward slash rediscovery. That's next Monday, October 3rd is when we're starting. We will be meeting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for four weeks. And I can't wait to see you there. That's it for me. Thank you so, so much for listening. Until next week, believe in the possibilities. so much for listening to widow 180 the podcast if you enjoyed this episode and you're seeking daily inspiration and guidance you can follow me on facebook at widow 180 the community on youtube at widow 180 the channel and on instagram at widow 180 if you're interested in more grief and widowhood resources including our latest freebie how to get your life back together after loss a 10-step checklist, head over to www.widow180.com forward slash freebie 
That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie.